Father, this morning I just come to you, Lord. It's a church we surrender, Lord. And I pray, Father, give us open ears. A mind that understands your word. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a channel. You are the speaker. My words may have effect of exciting or irritating people. But your word is the word of life. The flesh profits nothing. For you said your word is life and spirit. It is eternal life. Help us to receive it. Help us to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit behind the voice of man. And receive it meekly. With all humility. Help us to bow before your word. To bend our knees before your word. We spoke about your name. But now we speak about your word. For your word says I have magnified my word above all my name. Help us to magnify it even now Lord. Your word brings healing. Your word brings peace. Your word brings restoration. Above all, your word brings everlasting life. Speak to us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Two Sundays back, I spoke to everyone who was 12 and above. I hope you have settled things in your life by the time you reach 12. The only one who is excused is Abigail because she's only 10. She has two more years to go. The rest of you all is 12 and above. Those who have grown in the church. Talking to those who have grown in the ambience of a Christian believing home and in the ambience of receiving the word. By the time you are 12, you should know your father. And you should be at your father's business, wherever you are. That was Jesus' answer. I'm at my father's business. And he was 12 years old. Okay? So we come back. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a young person, you're single, you're married, you are widowed, you're divorced. It doesn't matter. Everyone is, has to be at his father's business. We all are. Different states of life we come. God, our father. So let us go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Remember, we are looking in terms of relationships. Man and man. Marriage, primarily, God is a family man. The Bible says God is a father. The entire family on in heaven and earth takes its name from him. God primarily presents himself to us as a father. As a father, okay? So remember, we are talking about relationships here. And the Bible says, because everything begins in the book of Genesis, which means beginning. Everything begins with Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman God created. Man was created first, woman out of man, and marriage is instituted. That's how the family begins. And this was the first law of marriage. This was not for Adam and Eve. It was for all mankind. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Why? Because he's starting a new family, a new home. 
So he has to leave his old home and start a new home. Not that you are cutting away all ties, but there is a spiritual separation. There is a separation. There has to be a separation. Otherwise, you will never build your own home. Okay? And the two shall become one flesh. The two shall become one. So the three fundamentals of a marriage. Man shall leave. Second, he shall cleave. And then they shall become one. Then Paul goes into a mystery and says, you know why marriage was instituted? Because in eternity there is going to be another marriage of Jesus and his church. It will be spiritual. Here it is physical. There it will be spiritual. What does he say? This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the Bible says he is united to the Lord is one spirit. One day the church will be one spirit with God. And that's what God is doing primarily on earth. We have nations, we have governments, we have all kinds of things happening. But God is interested only in one thing. What's happening in his church. When he church, I do not mean buildings. I mean within those buildings there are sets of people. Not many, few. Who are actually born of God. They know God as their father. And they are preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore they see world events completely different. And they are not depressed. They are not discouraged. They are excited. Because everything is falling into place. Exactly as he said. He said this is how it will be before I come. And we look around. It is exactly happening. It is disaster for the world. It is excitement for the church. Because he said, when these things happen, this is like labor pains before the baby comes. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth near. Draweth near. So the church, the preparing church, the bride of Christ, is not depressed, it is excited. It spread around the globe. Many, many churches underground because of the hostility. In different nations, Muslim nations, it's all underground. Nobody sees them, but God sees them. They're still gathering. And many of them are listening now. Okay. So remember, there is excitement in the air. We are not excitement because Hyderabad Sunday is fun day. Tangband is open. Come and see. No, we are not excited about any of this thing. We are excited about one thing. What is that? Our redemption is drawing nearer and nearer and every second that passes means his coming gets closer and closer and closer. If you are not prepared, you will be scared. But if you are, it's like an exam. If you are prepared, you are excited. If you are not prepared, you are scared. Okay? So keep this in mind. Okay? Keep this in mind. What is it? We are talking about relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. The whole thing was broken down when Adam, the first man, sinned against God. Mankind fell. Because we were all in Adam. Adam fell, man fell. Then Jesus had to come. God had to come as Jesus, bring restoration. And the restoration was possible only through one way, the way of the cross. That's why he, the son of God, Pure, holy, had to die for us. That's why his death is different. You don't hear about any gods dying. You only hear about one God dying. You hear all gods destroying sinners. You hear only one God dying for sinners. Absolutely different. 
Absolutely. So Christianity is not a religion. And that's why the cross has two parts. One he restores when you come to Christ, receive his work and his work alone. We have relationship with God. He restores us now back with God. Then we are able to truly fellowship with one another in Christ. It is Christ who makes it possible. Without Christ, not possible. So the title of today's message is, Can Two Walk Together? It's a question. Can two walk together? Okay. So primarily we are looking at the basics. Man walking with God and man walking with his spouse. Family. Because we are looking at relationship, any relationship. The highest form of relationship on earth is between a man and his wife. Everything else comes subsequently. Everything else. That is why the covenant that is made when a marriage vow takes place is unto death. You don't tell that to your children. Children will get married and go. No? So the only thing that is is the husband and wife. That's the top of all the relationship. So if we understand the top, you will understand every other relationship. Okay. So there is restoration between man and God and there is restoration in the home. That's how God works. A nation is only as strong as the homes. Why are nations weak today? There is no peace, no joy because the homes have been struck. It's not the government in Delhi or the government in Washington. They are not how God looks. God looks at the homes. God is a homemaker. The homes are strong, a nation is strong. The homes are weak, a nation is weak. So God does not go out. He begins with the individual. He begins with the home. So get the fundamental principle. Okay, fundamental principle. So when God started it all, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Eve is not there. Only Adam is there. This is the first statement God makes. After everything, he said, good, 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 very good. And then not good comes. What is the first not good? God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. He said, it's not good. Achha nahi hai. Insan, akele hai. Not good. He said, we are not alone in heaven. Trinity is not alone. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are not alone. They have been from the everlasting to everlasting. They have been together. And it is not good man is alone. So understand, the first fundamental principle of marriage or is fellowship. It is not children. You, A couple may not have children. Maybe they are barren. But they can have wonderful fellowship and still be content. Please never ever think that if we do not have children, our marriage has failed. No, not necessary. You can be absolutely content if your fellowship is good without children. Children are a blessing. It's an inheritance from God. But marriage is not around children. Marriage is between two individuals. Children come later. They may come, they may not come. So if you are a couple who is listening who do not have a children, don't get upset. Your marriage still can be complete and full. He did not say it is not good that man does not have children. He didn't say that. That's a blessing. Multiply. Be fruitful. It's a blessing. Okay. So, don't get these pictures. Because only the truth will set you free. If you do not know what is true, what is true? 
Truth is not science. Truth is what God says. And once you receive what God says and believes it, you are free. Because God said it. He's the only one who is true. He's the only one who knows it all. So he said, I receive it. You will suddenly see you are free. And freedom is always inside. It is not outside. So the first and the primary purpose is fellowship. Two people walking together in life. Now fellowship differs. Okay? Fellowship is primarily determined by that uh, that part in you called the soul. We are a tripart being. We have a body, we have a soul, and if you're born again, you have a spirit. We are a tripart being. If your soul is closely attached to your body, you have a fellowship which is called carnal. You have carnal fellowship. You enjoy the carnal worldly things, and these people have wonderful fellowship. Wonderful fellowship they have. But that's not the fellowship God is talking about. That fellowship is over certain subjects. Sports, music, movies. Then you can go to a higher level which is to the soul, which is intellectual. You know, you will have, you, you, you do not know, even in the cities you have reading clubs where papers are presented, poems are read. Only few people gather, but they enjoy it. You go there, you will be bored. But people who go there will miss IPL match to be there. Because they enjoy this. Because they are able to talk at a different level. Music, when at Hariyara Kala, Bhavano, Bharati and this thing, when you have these musical recitals, how many of you will go? You're not interested. But there are people who will go, pay through their nose and go. So tickets are sometimes 5,000, 10,000 and all, they'll pay it and go because the person who's coming is an accomplished singer. And they will go. Or let us say there is a painting exhibition. Who will go? But there are people who will go. You're getting the picture? So there is different levels of fellowship, whichever way you are inclined. And then there is another fellowship which God is talking about, which is spiritual. Your spirit has been born again from God. Now, God defines your fellowship with one another. With God and with man. And there it can change. It can suddenly change. Like if you look at Jesus, he had 12 disciples. But three disciples were closer to him than others. Peter, John and James. They were closer. Though it was Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus, Peter grew closer to Jesus than Andrew. And certain places where Jesus goes, like raising a girl from the dead or the Mount of Transfiguration, he doesn't take the others. He only takes these three. And he, you, you have the autonomy to choose that. It's not that I want everybody wherever I go. I don't want most people where I go because you become a stumbling block because you are not spiritually inclined. But you, instead of being a help, you become, you bring your unbelief and your casualness into spiritual battle. And it blocks. So Jesus was very careful. He cast everybody out. All of them stay out and he only took these three and Jairus and his wife. He took everybody out. You know you what? When you are doing certain things, you want people who think alike like you. Whose heart is in the same direction. So fellowship is determined by your attitudes, your inclinations. So if you are spiritually minded, you will also be 
choosing ultimately spiritual fellowship. But you should be able to do everything. Jesus could fellowship with a child, with children. He could fellowship with intellectuals like Nicodemus. And he could fellowship with his disciples. But ultimately you will see, as he walked further and further, the crowds are thinning out. And they are thinning out only because of one thing, the doctrine. Because doctrine determines fellowship. The doctrine is thinning out the crowds. So I don't look for the church to simply grow. I want the church to grow only based on doctrine. Otherwise it's a false church. If you bring the doctrine down, cut this message to 30 minutes and tell you from scripture, but things which makes everybody happy, I will tell you in one year we'll have to have five services. Crowds will come. Crowds will come. On top of that, if I put Telugu translation, also crowds will come. But we need to be very sure, what are we building? Who are we building it for? For. Okay. See, we have to be very careful about, how is my fellowship? Who am I walking with? Who am I walking with? Because the entire purpose of salvation, why did God come as his son? In his son. Why did God come? Why did he go through that life from birth to death? Pure, holy, fighting sin in every form. Tempted at all points, not sinning. And then have to go through that gruesome death on the cross. When God the Father's wrath against sin was put on him. And he was judged for our sake. Why did he go through it all? So that he could have a set of people with whom he could fellowship. The purpose of salvation is fellowship. At the end of it, is fellowship. Look at 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Look at how John is talking. The apostles are talking. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which you have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Who is the word of life? Jesus. They are talking about, they have first-hand experience of being with Jesus. So this, you know what? We are concerning those things we are talking. And then, verse 2. The life was manifested. We have seen and bear witness. He said, you know what? When we walked with him, we saw his life. Only when you walk with people, you understand their life. Only when you live with people, you understand their life. You have to live. Interact. Interact. Walk. That's what it means. Walk. You understand each other. Okay? We understood his life. Life was manifested. We have seen. And what do we? We bear witness. And declare to you the eternal life. The eternal life. That was which was with the Father. And it was manifested to us. We saw the eternal life of God the Father in the Son. The Son manifested it to us. Why? Because that's the only way we could have known. God is a spirit. And we will never know God. Because we are physical beings. So what did God do? He sent his Son in the human flesh. So that we could understand what God is like. God is like, I remember Billy Graham using this old illustration. He says, you know what, a line of ants are going. You know, ants will always follow the one previous. But they are all going to destruction. 
So if you take two ants off, the rest will continue to follow. And he was saying, how can you stop these ants from destroying themselves? He says, only one way. You have to become an ant, then go among them and tell them, that is the wrong way, follow me. And he said, that's what God did. You're all going to destruction. There's only one way. I will become one of them. First, I will take the punishment for their sins. Then if you believe me, follow me. I am taking you away from the path of destruction to eternal life. That's what he did. That's why he's called the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father other than through me. There's no other way. There's no other way. The gospel is the best news you would ever hear. You know what? God has shown us the way where we don't have to destroy ourselves. God has shown a way. Believe in him. Follow him. And that's what they are talking about. Which the father was manifested to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen, heard, declared to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Why are we telling you all these things? So that you may have fellowship with us. Why? Because he declared all these things to us and we had fellowship with him. So in the same way, we are declaring all that he taught us to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Are you getting the picture? So what is that called? He says, you know what? You listen to us. You listen. That's why the church begins with the apostles' doctrine. It is called the apostle. Well, the purpose of the apostle doctrine is that you, if you learn it, you can learn to fellowship with God the way the apostles fellowshiped with God. That's what it means. Now we all want to know. I want to know how Peter walked with God. I want to know how Paul walked with God. I want to know how John walked with God. God says that's why we are teaching. How did we walk with him? Based on this doctrine. We did randomly. We were not going on evening walks with Christ. Our walk and our relationship was based on doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine is important. Siddhant, as we say in Hindi. Talim, as you say in Nepali. Okay. Doctrine. Important. It's a doctrine of Christ. How can man Walk with God again. How can man fellowship with God again? And how can we genuinely partake fellowship with one another, which is eternal? Every other fellowship on earth will be cut short by conflict or death. But we are partaking of a fellowship with one another, which we can carry into eternity forever and ever. That's what God is leading us to. What is the whole reason? Words for. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Says, you know what? Joy doesn't come from things. Joy comes from fellowship. Doesn't come from the world has sold us a lie. More things you have, more joy, no more misery. Joy comes from fellowship. That's why you have to read especially the book of Philippians. There is a man lying in prison in chains and he says, Rejoice in the Lord and always rejoice in the Lord. Again I tell you rejoice in the Lord. He says, let your meekness, your gentleness known to everybody. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He says, I'm really tickled. I'm really happy. You know why? Because I have fellowship with God. God is here in prison with me. He didn't leave me alone. Where does your joy come from? Joy comes from fellowship. You know why you are not consistently joyful? It's because it's got to do with fellowship. It's got to do with fellowship. Your fellowship with God is broken. 
Fellowship with God is broken. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Another man. This is another man who was came after the apostles. But I make known to you brethren that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said you know what? You are wondering, how come this man who came after Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven? How come he's writing all this? He said, you don't know, right? I also had fellowship with Jesus. I also walked with Jesus. And I heard from Jesus. And what I'm writing you is what he gave me. Out of fellowship. Doctrine leads to fellowship. Fellowship leads to more doctrine. The revelation of a life. Because doctrine is basically the revelation of how God lives. And that's what we need to know. How, how do we live on earth? How did Jesus live on earth? How did he face everything? And how did he overcome? How did he overcome sin, the first thing? How did he overcome this, the desires of the flesh? How did he overcome the devil? Lord, I want to overcome. I want to have that kind of fellowship with you. So, what they are writing here, their experience, is the type of the fellowship that always existed between the Father and the Son through the spirit all of eternity. What they are writing, we are, he says, experience a little, taste a little. What fellowship is always between God the Father and God the Son through the Spirit? Okay, through the Spirit. Get the picture. Therefore, the first and the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, with all your might, all your strength, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, what does it translate into? Learn to walk with God. And learn to walk with one another. But first commandment is the first commandments. Learn first to walk with God. Then only you can learn to walk with your neighbor. Do not compromise on one for the sake of two. Because most people do. Most people do. Most people compromise one for two. But God says, you will ultimately end up empty. Ultimately, think about your best friend. Who or she, whatever it is. Is he or she with you always? Can they meet all your needs? When you are depressed, can they raise your spirits? When you are discouraged, they can make, make you laugh? They can give you comfort. They can give you rest. Can they give you peace? No. So that's two. There's something we derive from fellowship with one another. But that is not one. That is two. One is God. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 28. The last two verses to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. This internal fellowship was three. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, this is the key. I am with you always, even to the end. I am with you always. I am with you always. Till the very end, he says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. The one I told earlier. 
Just at his right for me to think this of all all of you. Because I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. You all are my partakers. You know what he says? He's lying in prison. But he says, you know, I don't forget. You are in my heart. I cannot fellowship. There's no mobile, no SMS, no calling, nothing. Okay, those days, this 2000 years ago, you write a letter, you don't know when the letter will reach. First you have to get the letter out of prison. But you have in my heart. But God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. His fellowship is absolutely spiritual. He says, I long for you. I long for fellowship, but I cannot have it. But, chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He says, you know what? Still I am not depressed. Many of you sitting, getting my letter are depressed because I am not there with you. I am not depressed though you are not with me. I miss you, but I am not depressed. Why? God is with me. And look when he is arrested and he is taken to prison. Look at 2 Timothy. At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. He is in chains in the court for his faith. He says, everybody forsook me. No fellowship. But may it not be charged against them. Lord, don't forgive them, Lord. My church abandoned me. All my colleagues abandoned me. I'm all alone in the court. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Just, you know what? I am never cut away from the fellowship of Jesus Christ. In the spirit, he's always with me. And therefore, I feel his strength. Do you understand what God is talking about? Why one is more important than two? Our fellowship is primarily first with God. And that should define our other fellowships. I'm not saying you should not have worldly friends and all that. But our fellowship is first with God. And then with others through God. Through God. So we need to walk with God. So that we learn to walk with one another. So the question is, how do I walk with God? How does man walk with God? How does man walk with God? It is very strange. It is through a very minor prophet in the Bible called Micah, God showed us how you can walk with God. You want to walk with God? This is how you walk with God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? You want to walk with me? Three things. Three aspects, actually, of the character of God. This is the character of God. Unless we learn to walk with God, we really don't know how to walk with one another. It's just worldly. It's just carnal. It's just selfish. It is just fleshly. It never lasts. That is why the joy of fellowship for most people never lasts. Because it is carnal. First thing, act justly. Second, Love, mercy. Third, walk humbly. God says if you very consciously choose each day these three aspects of my character, you can walk with me. You can walk with me. We know a startling testimony about a man in the book of Genesis whose record is there in the book of Hebrews. Just one line. 
Hebrews 11 and verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Only one line about a man. 365 years he lived according to the record in Genesis. One line. One testimony. What is that? He pleased God. Why did he please God? How did he please God? Genesis 5 gives us a record. Verse 22. This is Enoch. After he begot or he sired, the other word in English is S-I-R-E-D, sired Methuselah. You don't say gave birth. That's what the woman does. He begot or sired is what the man does. Enoch walked with God 300 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365. And verse 24 gives one line. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. God took him. He walked with God. And God said, you know what? You don't have to die. I'm taking you alive. I'm taking you alive. Well, everybody who's hoping Jesus is coming to take his bride, Enoch, is a case study. One man who has taken a life. Why? Because he learned to walk with God. A church that learns to walk with God is rapture ready. A church that learns to walk with God is the only church that will be taken. There are two pictures over there. Seventh generation from Adam, Enoch taken alive. And tenth from Adam came through the judgment. So two pictures of the church will be there. One will be taken alive, the other will have to come through tribulation and judgment. Protected, but you will have to come through. If you have doubts, go read Revelation chapter 12 and what happened to the other children of the woman, the church. Protected, but they had to go through the reign of the Antichrist. One was taken, the other was not. Two pictures. So why is it so important other than fellowship? It is so important we learn to walk with God so that we are rapture ready. Lord, because he's the first man, God just took him. He said, you don't have to die. You don't have to die. So the the, the verse 22, if you go over there, it's interesting because that gives us the clue. The clue. How did Enoch learn to walk with God? For 65 years, he was not actually walking with God. He was probably like all of us, came to Sunday, excited, and then Monday was fun day. And we did our own thing. Sunday came back again, tried to stir up some emotion and zeal, but we were not really walking with God. And Enoch was that kind of a man. Then at age of 65, something happened. He begot Methuselah. Now, nobody will give a name like that unless he has heard from God. So when this child is born, God tells him, you shall name your child Methuselah. The name means when he dies, judgment will come. That's why he's the longest living human being on earth, which is a symbol of God's mercy. Nine, sixty-nine years. When he dies, judgment will come. Suddenly, when he heard about judgment, he realized, I need to learn to walk with God. Because judgment is... It's when the teacher announced, do you know only final exam is three weeks away? Everybody's looking for notebooks. Will you keep me? I will zero us. Photo started. I have no notes. I have no textbooks. People are running to buy textbooks and copy somebody else's notes. Why? Judgment is coming. Just like Methuselah. 65 years had a uh, easy life on earth and then he heard about judgment. And he said. So what does judgment mean? 
We know there's a day called the day of judgment. What does judgment mean? Judgment means it's a day of justice. When all wrongs of the past 6,000 years of human history will be put right. Every wrong will be judged. That's why it's called the day of judgment. Justice, we will know what justice is on that day. We don't know justice. You have courts, you have departments of justice. They are more like departments of injustice. There's no justice. There's no justice. Even in Aryan's case, that was not justice. That was not justice. That's a perversion of the law. A little young boy, 22 years old, nothing found in his possessions. And they put him, lock him up for 22 years. 22 days in prison. Well, there are goons walking around with sacks full of this thing. And they are not caught. They are not put behind bars. And he was, I mean, that is not justice. You have to look at the level of the crime and the quantum of punishment. Okay, I'm not justifying what the boy did. No, but but you have to also look at that. First time offender, nothing in his possession. He was invited as a star guest to get the crowds. He was not even as a passenger booked in that. Okay, so you always have to, that was not justice. Everybody holds their nose. That was not justice. That was not just. That was what was not, what was done to him, it was not right. Okay, of course, you should be caught, counseled. Maybe give his father, you should give him two slaps. But what happened was not justice. So you need to realize what does the day of judgment mean? The day of judgment means it's a day of justice. Evil will be punished. Righteousness will be rewarded. And righteousness will reign from that day. From that day, when the day of judgment begins, you will know what righteousness is. Why is it so? Because this is the nature of the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. But to the Son, the Father says, Your throne of God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Every king has a scepter. It's a scepter. And different scepter, or we will call what is the national seal. We have the Ashoka Chakra, Visatyameva Jayate. Okay. I mean, it's a huge Wonderful slogan, but the truth doesn't triumph here. Ultimately, it will triumph. And that day, Indians will regret we picked it as a slogan. He says, I will judge you by your own slogan. Individually, I will judge you. You said you are Indian, right? Stand here. What is your national symbol? Ashok Chakra. What does it say? Satyameva Jayata. Okay, stand here. I will judge you by truth. Were you true to God? Were you true to your wife? Were you true to your church? Were you true in your workplace? Were you true in your financial dealings? Were you true in your conversation? Were you true? Are you, Lord, I didn't know that is what it meant. He says, stand there now. That is the day of judgment. Righteousness. Okay? That is why nobody wants to be stand before that throne. They will fall on their knees, plead for mercy from Jesus. Jesus, I want to come through you. You died for my sins. You took my punishment. I don't want to come through any other way. No religion, no works. I just want to plead for mercy and come through you. Will you stand bail for me? That is the cross. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3 and 5. How he will judge. This is Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That is witness. I am first witness, stand. I will say nothing but the truth and only the truth. And then, what did you see? 
another one. But I heard, not by what they hear. He says, I, I don't need any witnesses that day. No witnesses required. I know you inside out. My spirit is the one who will give testimony about you. My spirit it covers the entire earth, has recorded every nanosecond of your life. I don't need to hear, I don't, you don't, I don't need to call witnesses. You can't call witnesses. How will I die? With righteousness, he will judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. There's another judgment coming. We are worried about death. Bible talks about the second death. You don't worry about death. Christ has overcome it. If you are in him, you are safe. Worry about the second death when you will be thrown away from God's presence forever and ever. That's what we need to be worried about. That is called the day of judgment. So if the Bible say, you know, walked with God and was translated, it means in the light of Micah 6, 8, Enoch learned to act justly. He loved mercy and he walked humbly before God. The first question you need to always ask is, is it just? Don't ask whether it is legal. Don't ask. Legality has got to do with the laws. And man keeps on changing the laws. How do you know something is just? If something is just, it produces the righteousness of God. That is how you know it is just. Don't say whether it is legal. In many states in America... Up till the 24th month or even more. Now some states up to the 9th month, even after birth, abortion is legal. Can kill a The most safest place on earth has become the most dangerous place, the womb. And that's what the Bible talks about in the last days, the nature of love. If a mother can kill her own baby, what hope does this world have? You expect the mother to protect her baby. You know the hens in the on the earth, they have better sense than many women out there. They will give their lives to protect their chickens. And here we kill our own. So it is legal. Is it just? Is it just? Homosexuality is legal in America. Is it just? Can two homosexuals produce a child? What is the fundamental principle? You shall multiply. That is only no homosexual couple can produce a baby. You will always need a third person. The transport secretary, the guy who is married to another guy. And they adopted two babies and they're celebrating the arrival of the baby. Where did they get the babies from? They produced one? No, they didn't. They adopted. So to have a baby, it needed a man and a woman. So it is legal. It is not just. It does not produce the righteousness of God. So don't ask whether it is legal. Many things are legal in this world. And the Bible says in the book of Daniel, in the last days, the Antichrist will change the laws and change the times. So don't ask whether it is legal. Ask the question, is it just? Does it produce the righteousness of God? Every time, that's a question you need to ask. Not whether it is legal. Because many things are legal. But they are not righteous. So the first thing God is asking, you want to walk with me? Understand justice. Because the scepter of my kingdom is righteousness. And the problem, like, how many of you listened to yesterday's Q&A? 
Show me your hand. I want to see your hands. All those who listen that you are now. Up. Right up. What were you doing? The rest of you. You were so busy Saturday night. Why were you listening? You have to hear the questions that was coming from around the world. From US, from Australia, from Middle East, from North India. Interesting questions asked from North India by young people like you. I, I am a student. I have done my SAT. I want to go to college. But how do I choose? Because before I believed this was my aim. Now I am believed. I want to teach. What is the specific will of God? Go listen. You will understand how you discover the specific will of God. These are young people just like you from North India who are online listeners asking serious questions. What are you doing? What are you doing? So you are already crossed 12 and you haven't settled issues in your life. And the day of the Lord is getting nearer and nearer, not farther and farther away. Q&A is some of our most watched programs because it answers the questions of so many people asking. I had judges asking me questions yesterday. I had politicians asking me a question yesterday. I have young girls who were saved or prostitution from the streets of New York asking me questions yesterday. Why are you so comfortable? That's what the prophet says. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision and the day of the Lord is near. You have nothing to do on a Saturday night. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. That's what I'm saying. Ask yourself, whatever you did yesterday was legal. Was it righteous? When you knew this was a time to be set apart. You could do anything holding your phone and do your kitchen work or whatever work, but listening. Because questions are being asked by people who have entered into the kingdom. They've come through the fire. Now they want to learn how to walk with God. Walk with God. You have to be very, very careful. Very, very careful about certain things in the Bible. The scariest words in Romans chapter 1 is God gave them over. You know, you should pray this every day. Lord, I may sin, I may fight you, I may I may be complacent. Lord, one thing, you never give me over. Lord, never give me over. Once God has given you over, you are done. About Ephraim, God says, leave Ephraim Alone, because he's joined with souls. You want God to say to his angels and to his spirit and to his son, the father, saying, leave that one alone. You're done. You're finished. This is a serious book. Very serious book. Because it costs God the life of his own son to redeem us. Take it seriously. And the first thing God asks is, are you just? The problem is, I and you cannot be just. I cannot be just. It's not possible for us to just. Why? Because the psalmist says, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. It is not possible. Why? Because of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, that was an interesting question that came in from Australia. Why is the virgin birth so important? Why is it so important? I see a prophesied 600 years before Jesus came, the virgin shall give birth. Why is it so important? It is so important because God says, life is in the blood. Your bloodline is not counted from your mother. Your bloodline is always counted from your father. That's why even every religion does not allow you to marry on your father's side, but will allow you to marry on your mother's side. Because the bloodline is different. And the Bible says iniquity is passed on from father to children and not from mother to children. Therefore, when Adam sinned, all sinned. 
And if Jesus is born of a human being, he is born in sin. How does he become the atonement for sin? He cannot become the atonement of sin. And so when angel Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, you shall bear a child. Her question is, how it shall be? I am a virgin. He says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the Holy One of God you bear is by birth, by conception. He is holy because his bloodline is not from his earthly father. His bloodline is from his heavenly father who is holy God. That's why the virgin birth is so important and not the immaculate conception that the false doctrine taught by the Catholic Church. Because they didn't understand it, so they made Mary holy. If Mary is holy, then her parents have to be holy. If her parents have to be holy, their parents have to be holy. You have to go all the way up to Adam, everybody is holy, then why do you have to die? Then man will not die. Man dies because of sin. And the very fact sin is ruling over the earth is that every man dies. Every man dies. If man is holy, man will not die. Man sinned, therefore man dies. And the only way back is somebody had to take the punishment of sin. And Jesus did. And only a holy person, a man who had never sinned, could become atonement. That is why not only was he born without sin, he lived without sin. The Bible says he was tempted at all points and he did not sin. Understand atonement. These are questions people are asking. And you need to listen. It's not a joke. These are young people like you. People like you. Young people getting saved left, right, center. It's a question from Afghanistan too. And you think Taliban is ruling. No, God is ruling. Taliban is ruling the earth in Afghanistan. God is ruling his people. They're getting saved. They're getting saved. So don't be complacent. Don't be complacent about the things of God. Because you want to walk with God, you have to be serious about God. You cannot have carnal fellowship with God. It is spiritual. And the first thing God says is, I can never act righteous. Because I am unrighteous. I am unrighteous. Eternal life is not first. There was a question yesterday from somebody and I was very happy it came from North India saying, Pastor, in one of your messages, you said, and I said, oh, thank you. I never got that question from my church because I didn't listen. You listened. I'm happy for the question. You know what was that? You said many people are forgiven in the church but they're not saved. I said, true. What did the gospel say? Repentance towards God, faith toward Jesus. Repentance alone doesn't save you. Did you put your trust only in the work of Jesus Christ? Have you been given the gift of righteousness? The gift of righteousness comes first and then eternal life. If you are not righteous, you are not going to live eternally. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation because in it is revealed a righteousness that is of God from faith to faith. Why will you live eternally? Because you repented You turn to Jesus' work and God said, I give you my righteousness. You can't die now. Even if you die, you live. Because only the sinners die. The righteous don't die a second time. So I cannot act justly until I am made just. That's why I still, you may be baptized, you may have made your confession, but I still believe there are many people sitting in this church who are not saved. 
Because you do not seek after righteousness. Your hunger for justice is not there. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Do you know why you do not have? Because you are not born from above. You are not born from above. And I have to tell you, not condemning you, make sure you are saved. Because on that day, that's the only thing that will matter. When the day comes, the only thing that will matter is, where do you have my son? If you don't have the son, you don't have life. That's what John says. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Not that whether you confessed. Not whether you were baptized. Neither where we enter church. That's not the question. All this has meaning only if you have the son. Do you have the son? If you don't have the son, you and I will be condemned. But if you have the son, we have gone through. Because the son is not condemned because he took my punishment for me. Therefore, I will not be condemned. I will be judged for my works, for my rewards, but I will not be judged for sin. Make sure you have the son. Make sure. Therefore, I cannot be just unless I am made just first. I have to be made just first. There is only one way I can be made just. Like I said, Physical life has symptoms. Spiritual life also has signs, not symptoms, signs. Physical life has signs. Spiritual life has signs. How do you know a person is physically? How do you know? Every parent, you ask every one of them, because that's our experience, their experience. When their babies are small, one week, two weeks, you know, parents are very scared, because when they sleep, they look as if they are not breathing. The panic, you know what? You will shake them and wake them up to know they are awake. What is the sign of life? His breath. What's the sign of spiritual life? The Holy Spirit. His breath. Ruha. Do you have the spirit in you? That's a sign of life. What does the nurse do after the baby is born and cleaned and said? What does she do with the baby? Gives to the mother and says, feed. Now let me ask you this question. Nine months in the mother's womb, did the child ever use its lips? Does it know how to suck milk? No, it doesn't. But the first thing it does, it sucks milk. The Bible says when you are born again, you will crave for the spiritual milk of the word of God. Sign of life. Do you have that craving? If you don't have craving, you have religion. You don't have Christ. Learn, God says. Go to the ant, learn. Go to the grasshopper, learn. Look at your own babies and learn. Do I have life? Then you progress from milk to meat. That's what the word of God says. Go from the milk of the word to the meat of the word of God. That is the proof. Not only you are born again, you are growing. You are growing. It's not enough to be born. You need to grow. Ask our LHL, our special needs home. How are they fed? They're fed, mixed in a mix key, put in through the tube in the, the feeding tube in the stomach. And in why? They cannot handle it. They cannot handle it. So what do we have? Pity for them. You want to go to a church after being a Christian for 14 years where everything is put in a mixy and fed through the stomach? That's how messages are preached in the church. You know why they preach it? Because the people have not grown. Growth is important. Important. Because these are signs of life. Signs of life. And the baby grows. 
The baby knows, recognizes the voice of the father, the voice of the mother, the voice of the brother, the voice of the sister. They recognize. You know what she is learning or he is learning? Fellowship. Do you fellowship? I'm not talking about the worldly fellowship. Do you fellowship knowing the members of God's family? Science. Because if you are not born again, you cannot act just. It's not possible for you. Because the righteousness of God is not on your top. What is top is, is it legal or illegal? If it is illegal, I will still do it because nobody sees me. But if you are seeking the righteousness of God, even if you do it in the dark, you will cry out to God for mercy because the Spirit of God says, you did it. You did it. The law doesn't see you. Many of you drove and came to the city today, to the church today. Did the law search all your papers? Some of you may not have your pollution certificate. Some of you may, driving license must have expired. Some of you may not have insurance. Did the law tell you? No. The law will only law when it stops you and checks you. But the spirit knows. The spirit knows. The spirit knows. And you know, because you are born of the spirit and the spirit speaks to you. How do you know? Because the Spirit knows. And how do you know? Because the Spirit tells you. That is justice. Act justly. Act justly. First thing is justice. Why? Because it brings forth the righteousness of God and of not of man. So the final question is not what the government says. It is what God says. That's what the apostles said to the Sanhedrin. Should we obey you or should we obey your government? But we should obey God. What you are saying contradicts what God has said. We will obey God. In the process, you put us in prison. It is well with my soul. You can only imprison my body. You do not imprison my soul. Only God can. And God said, do not fear him who can kill your body. Fear him afterwards. He can put both your body and soul into hellfire. Don't fear those men who can only harm your body. Fear him that deals with your soul. The soul is concerned about justice. The righteousness of God. The born again spirit speaks to the soul about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. So Micah tells us the first thing. What is it? Seek justice. Love mercy. James chapter 2 verse 3. Why love mercy? He has shown you a man what is good and what does the Lord... No, no. Go to James, the next verse, sorry. Yeah. Justly to love mercy and to walk humbly. I didn't give it to you. James 3, 2. Okay. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why does he say that? Think for a minute. James 3, uh, 2, uh, uh, I think it's 2, 3. Yeah, not 3, 2, 2, 3. Or maybe 2, 13. Yeah, 2, 2, 13 if I'm right. I just get my figures. 13, 2, 13, yeah. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I will tell you why. I will tell you why God is so important about us to love mercy. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Lamentations 3, verse 22. I didn't give that also? Yeah. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not... You know why we are alive today? Because of the mercy of God. 
Who is there who can stand saying, forget last week, today. I have walked in absolute holiness. Having sinned against God in my thoughts, in my words, in my deeds. My heart was full of thanksgiving. My lips were only uttering praise and have only glorified God. Have you, is there anybody? No. The word of God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And do you know what is the answer? The answer is consumption. You would be consumed. But do you know why we were not consumed? Because of the mercies of God. God says, therefore, love mercy. When you deal with one another, show mercy. Because you are a recipient of my mercy every moment of your day. Every moment of the day. Love mercy. Don't be so quick to judge. Love mercy. Don't judge where you have no authority. Everybody is judging, but they have no authority. God has given authority. Areas. You go to Nampali, you will see the civil court judge doesn't sit in the Nampali criminal court. The criminal court judge doesn't go and sit in the high court. Everybody has given the territory where to judge. You judge only where you have authority. You don't have authority, shut your mouth and love mercy. Love mercy. Love mercy. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Let me tell you, it's just a vision. It's just a vision. For a minute, when unrighteousness died, represented by King Uzziah, who was a leper, he was struck with leprosy because he rebelled against God. He was struck with leprosy. So the symbolic picture is there. When sin died, the eyes of the prophet opened. He had a vision of heaven. How does he see heaven? He saw the train of the his I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high, lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two he covered his face. Two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. He has six wings. The flying represents serving. Four wings is to cover his feet and his face from God. Only two wings to serve this holy God. And what's the cry going on over there? Verse 3. And one cried to another said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what is the response of the prophet? This prophet who is a godly man, a holy man, look at his response when he has a tiny little vision of heaven. He said, The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because a man of unclean lips. Let me ask you this question. Worship team that was worshipping here. If your worship opened the portals of heaven for a microsecond, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, you would be consumed. Because no man can stand the holiness of God. Not even Moses. God said, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and my front you won't see. My back you will see. Otherwise you will be destroyed. Do you understand mercy? Do we understand mercy? If it wasn't for the mercy of God, I would be consumed while I'm preaching the word because no man is worthy to preach the word of God except his son. That's why he's called the word. This is the honor. To come here is an honor. To do anything for God is an honor. And we live and serve him because of his mercy. Otherwise, we will be consumed. And Jeremiah is able to understand by his mercies we are not consumed. We are not consumed. Do we understand mercy? Do we understand justice? 
And then God says, walk holy. Humbly before God. The call of salvation is to walk with God. And then walk with one another. The call of God, what is salvation? Adam and Eve and God used to walk every day in the evening. Only in the evening. This is manic, this, this is transient presence of God everywhere. And there is the manifest presence of God. That only happened in the evening. It's a particular time when God walked with Adam and Eve. Every day. So when they sinned, the Bible says, when Adam heard the footsteps of God, he ran and he hid from God. And God asked, where are you? God kept his appointment. This is the time we walk. Let's walk. Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? There has to be set times in your life, in your day, when you walk with God. He waits. He comes. And if you are not there, awake and waiting, he will ask you, Peter, where are you? Pastor Vijay, where are you? Avinash, where are you? Why are you hiding? Where are you? Will you say like Adam? No, my wife cooked such a heavy meal, I overate and I fell asleep. <laughs> that is modern translation of what Adam said, the woman you gave, gave me food to eat. What's our answer? Can we walk with God? First step after you are saved, you have put away everything, put your trust in God alone, after you are saved. The first step to walk with God again is taught to us through a minor prophet. So don't miss the minor prophets. I will only major on major prophets. No, go to the minor ones. Most of the things of Jesus was told to us through the minor ones. And they were always saying, I am just a goat herd. I am a sheep. Oh, why are you sending me to speak to these people? And God spoke to us through them. So Amos tells us how you walk with God. First step. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Do you know why carnal fellowship succeeds very well? Because they agree on music, sports, entertainment, movies, shopping, clothes. Agree. Birds of the same feather flock together. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? First step. It's a question. It's a rhetorical question. Can? Answer, no. If you are not agreed, you cannot walk together. There are many people around the world, including this church, who have sat in the church for years. Unless they have, till they have become part of the furniture. But they still haven't taken the first step. They still don't agree with God. They don't agree with God. Therefore they cannot walk with God. Do you agree with God? Married but not walking together. Married for years. But roommates in a hostel have more fellowship than some couples. You know why? They are not able to agree. We had worship today. Different instruments. When they all agreed. Do you know what we got? It's called harmony. That's what God is talking about. When two people agree, you have harmony in their lives. That is harmony. Out of harmony comes music. 
a symphony otherwise what you have is cacophony you getting the picture first thing are you able to agree why agreement we mean out of agreement comes unity comes unity learn from god says learn everything from me that's what jesus came to show the agreement between the father the son and through the spirit deuteronomy 6:4 and mark 12:29 hear o israel the lord our god the lord is there are three but they are one absolute unity absolute unity mark 12:29 What is the first and greatest commandment? You know what the first thing Jesus said before he said what was the commandment? Jesus answered, first of all the commandments is, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, you know what? The other two has no meaning if you don't become one. The purpose is that you have harmony in your lives. Man learns to walk with God and man learns to walk with man. That is the purpose of the commandments. What is the entire intention of the commandments? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as you. What is the purpose? So that out of that, you can have harmony. Can have harmony. Think about the harmony in the, in the, in the Godhead. There are three, yet they are one. If you want to look at it as a picture, as a type, as a picture, God, don't turn it, turn it on, turn my words around and run with it. I'm just saying a type. God as the father the holy spirit as a type of the mother the holy spirit is not female he is called he is not power he is a person and it's not female okay but as a type of the mother and jesus as the son though they are all three god these are only to help us understand because god told to adam i shall make a helper meet for him that is the same name of the holy spirit in the new testament they are equal the wife is equal she's not inferior she's equal but her role is completely different the father the holy spirit and the son do you have you noticed the fellowship in the trinity is held together by the spirit the spirit searches the heart of the father and reveals and the son does everything under the father through the spirit do you understand women you hold the family together you hold the family together mother goes the house goes the house falls apart that's your divine role to hold the father and the children together you look into the bible and you will always see we will go will i'm going ahead of my this thing on my message we shall come to that if we have time So the first thing is understanding there has to be unity there has to be harmony and it is always possible only when there is agreement the father agrees with the son the son agrees with the spirit the spirit agrees with the father there is no division among them at all that's why it is said here o israel the lord thy god is one you go through the bible from genesis 1 onwards what do they say let us make man in our image let us let us and god made man in his image us his us his many one image one essence let us go and see what man is doing us 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 it is one it's unity it's not get like a false kind of unity some people on earth want you will see so many couples like that you know what wherever you go i follow you like a network you think the father is following the son and the son is following the holy spirit wherever they go that is not unity that is bondage 
You all have your own different works to do. Imagine take your wife to your office every day. They will chuck you out. Unity is in the heart and the spirit of essence. No, wherever I go, I, my wife and my five children will only go together. Try it in your office tomorrow. But you are one. Yet the work is different. Father works differently. Son does another work. The spirit works. And there is no division among them. You read chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God, Lord, Spirit. Three are working together in the salvation of man. But the works are not the same. The redemption is by the Father, by the Son. Judgment was by the Father. Reconciliation, everything is being done. Conviction is being done by the Spirit. Yet they are unified in their work. So we are talking about unity. Not uniformity. Not bondage, but liberty. Liberty. Otherwise, you know what? Your relationship with God will become bondage. And your relationship with one another becomes bondage. So the first question is a question of unity. Are you united with God? Do you agree with God? Do you agree with God? I didn't say, do you understand God? You don't have to understand God. First you have to agree with God. Then you will understand. That's what happened. When you joined your company, you signed a bond. What did you say? I agree. Did you understand your process? They said, first you agree, then we'll teach you. No, when it comes to God, I need to understand first. God says, go take a break. Bear in hell. In heaven, there is agreement. There is no disagreement in heaven. When he taught us to pray, this is what he said. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, only his will. There is absolute agreement. Everybody who disagreed is sitting and cooling their heels in hell. Including one third of the angels. No disagreement in heaven. Because it's righteousness, holiness, purity. There is no disunity in heaven. The first thing you have to say, you know what? I agree. I don't understand. I agree. I agree. Second thing about walking together. One question has to be decided. Second question to be decided. First Corinthians 11.3 I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Headship has to be decided. You know why there is perfect unity in the Trinity? Though they are equal, because Christ says, you are my head. Headship is established forever. Where you do not have headship, you do not have fellowship. It's impossible to have fellowship. Even if you have a team of similar salary, you have a team leader. Meaning he's your head. Listen to him. And many of you do not have fellowship with anybody, primarily with God. Because you have no head. You are headless wonders. No head. Head is a head whether visible or invisible. That's what Paul says. Even when we are absent, obey. When you know you have a head, the head does not have to be present. You know you are under headship. You know under headship. Headship has to be established. The head of Christ is God. He says, my head is my father. Are you God? Yes, I am God. Equal to the Father? Yes. Who is your head? My Father. His word is my law. 
Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come to do your will, O oh God. That's what it says. I have not come to do my will. I have come to do my Father's will. This has to be established. In your life, in your home. In your life, in your home. That statutory warning, because home is involved. The head of the woman is man. The head of man is Christ. You know what it means? There is only one sovereign head. That is God. Man is not the sovereign head of his wife. He has only delegated authority and not sovereign authority. Sovereign authority is for God and God alone. And some men act as if they are sovereign. You are not sovereign. You are not sovereign. There is only one who is sovereign. It's God. It's God. So read that scripture very carefully, men and women. Carefully, because these are fundamentals to walking with God and walking with one another. God is sovereign, man is not. Even the king in Israel did not have sovereignty. He had to have a book of the law beside him, meditate upon the law all his life and do only what it was written because he had only delegated authority and not sovereign authority. That was the law for the kings of Israel. And when they disobeyed it, God broke and destroyed the kingdom. He didn't destroy other kingdoms. Only Israel was judged. Because he said, Israel, I have chosen you as my people. So you disobey, I will spank the daylights out of you. They're still getting spanked. Because God chose them as a people. And the church is getting spanked. Because God chose the church through his son. No other nations are being disciplined. There are two nations that are being disciplined. One is called Israel. The other is called the church, which is called a holy nation. Two nations, God will discipline. The others, he lets them go their own way and they will go into their destruction unless they come through Christ into his fold. Headship has to be decided. So we need to learn to walk with God. Amos 3.3, issue. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can I walk with God unless I agree with him? But there's this problem of walking with God. I will tell you the problem of man, even a born again man to walk with God. The prophet Isaiah, 600 years before Christ, explains it beautifully. This is the problem of walking with God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. When two people walk together, you will see whether their crooks are good, their thoughts and their ways are the same. The problem is, I want you to walk with me. And you want to walk with me. But the problem is, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Lord, how much, kitna gap hai aapka thought and mere thought ke beech mein aur aapke raaste aur mere raaste ke beech mein. Little gap, God says, no. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, scientifically knowledgeable people know the difference. The closest star to us or planet is, or, or satellite is moon. How far is moon? Forget moon. This is talking about the heavens. And he lives in the third heavens, which cannot be even visible by any telescope. Do you want to know the distance between your thoughts and my thoughts? My ways and your ways? You want to walk with me? This is the distance. Not only that, another major issue. Malaki. 3.6 For I am the Lord, I do not change. Yeah. Not only is the distance like this, I don't change. So mean you change. 
Do you know why God doesn't change? Because he's stubborn? No, because he's perfect. If God changes, he can only change for the worse, not for the better. When you take an object, there are no objects like that in God's sight, which is perfect. If you change it, it becomes imperfect. That's what God means. He's not, he's, he has got no ego trip. He knows who he is. He is holy. How is holy? Perfectly holy. How is he? Perfectly righteous. How is his purity? Perfectly pure. He says, you know what? I cannot change. I do not change. If I change, it would be your destruction. Because I would become worse. And God does not change. So not only is the gap so much, he does not change. Moses learned it the hard way. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 and 4, at the end of his life. I proclaim the name of God, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. What does it mean? Doesn't change. The rock doesn't change. His work is perfect. He cannot improve on his work. For all his ways are just All his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Moses learned it towards the end. You cannot enter the promised land. Yes, sir. You are right. I am wrong. Everybody has these questions. No? How could God do that to Moses? Because he's right. Because he's perfect. Somebody asked this question. Why did Moses have to wait for 40 years before God spoke to him? Because God couldn't do it in 39 years. Even your waiting period is perfect. Solomon learned it the hard way, the smartest fool in the world. He wrote all the proverbs, kept none. Ecclesiastic, chapter 12, 13, uh, sorry, chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Buddhu, you pahle Wasted your life, destroyed your kingdom at the end with one foot on the banana peel, the other foot in the grave, he is telling us. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you get it? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. At the end of his life, he realized, God is perfect. And he does not so put these two together, his thoughts and his ways is as high as the heavens is from the earth and he does not change. So, simple question, if I have to walk with God, I have to change. Revert to the home or the church, two homes on earth, your home and church as a spiritual home. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. I want you to know the head of every man is... Who is the head of your home? Christ. Christ, man, not you, Christ. Who is the head of your home? Christ. How does Christ walk? Justly, loves mercy, and humbly. Man, are you that? I don't think so. Well, learn. Learn. Christ is the head of the house, not man. Man is delegated head. Real head? Christ. 
understand when those commandments which are given, which uh, women despise, they don't show it because we are very holy outwardly. Ephesians chapter 5, how does it begin? Verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Why? Christ is the head. Go up, boss. You cannot see him, but he is there in your house. He is the head of the house. Next verse. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, why? Because the head of your house is Christ. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Full stop. (laughs) Husbands would be so happy. I love my wife. No, just as Christ. That is the problem. Why did Paul have to write these extra words? He should be very, very, he's very generous with this word. Why give us all this trouble? When he writes about the wives to submit your husband in all things. Why did he put that all over there? Some would have been good. And then he comes and tells husband, just as Christ also loved the church, and then he doesn't stop there. He tells also how he gave himself for that church. So the simple question God says, do you give him yourself for your wife? Two ways, primarily two ways, if you look at. Two ways, in Jesus' practical life with his disciples. He asked them two questions. One, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? They said no. The first priority of the husband is to provide for his wife. Then, when they came to arrest him, he said, who do you seek me? Leave them alone to protect your family. Everything that you do for your wife, be very sure. You are not indulging in your flesh. You are doing it because you are protecting her. Because Christ protects the church. Keep those things in your mind. But this is what Christ does. This is how you learn to walk with God. You have to protect your home. You have to protect your wife. You have to provide. And protect. Everybody is silent. Pin drop silence. Last time I had silence like this was in Nepal when I had the pastor's conference before covid It is absolute cold winter. Absolute silence. One child, all parents sitting there. Second session, next day early morning, second day I saw early in the morning, biting cold, the father on the scooter, bike taking his son. I said, where are you going? He says, I don't even want the child to disturb me. We never heard the word like this. You know, you could hear literally a pen drop. Backed hall. Everybody, morning till night, listening to the word. All pastors and their wives. And they all dropped their children, said, we don't want the children disturbing us because we have come for this word. You're listening to the word, which will matter in eternity forever and ever. Wives and husbands, when they learn to walk with one another, and you learn to walk with God, what is happening So don't ask these questions at home. Don't have a legalistic framework. Is it just? If I ask my husband this, is this just? If I ask my wife to do it, is it just? I used to tell my students in those young youth meetings in the other countries where I go, I used to ask them, come here, you've got this smartphone over there. How much does this phone cost? Mm, Sir, 15,000. 
How did you get it? Daddy bought it for me. How, much, how long did you pester him before you got this? <laughs> what is daddy's salary? And 30,000. Do you know what this is? It's half your father's life of a month. This is your 15 days of your father's life. When you ask for a smartphone, was it just? Was it just? It's not whether it is right or wrong. We have crossed those lines long long back when we came to Christ. We are not asking about good and evil. We have to ask, when I make a request, when I demand something, is it just? Does it bring forth the righteousness of God? What does your father do? What does your mother do? And you are asking this? Think about whatever you demand. Whatever you demand. Is it just? Because relationships are based on need, need based relationships. You ask this, you ask this, you ask this, you that. That's not the question. The simple question is this. Is it just? Think. Before you go and ask people, family, anybody, you ask for something. Always ask what I am asking. I am not asking whether it is legit. That's what my father told, taught us. Our five children he taught us. He said, you know, with all that I have, I have given you the best education I could afford you. And he said one thing. One thing I promise you. I will never come with you. Bend my head before a principal for admission. That you get yourself. If you don't have the marks, don't apply. Don't apply. We never did. He never had to come with us and bend his head anywhere. So when you ask for things, ask this question. Is it just? Has children asking, is it just? Is it just? The first question has to be, is it just? Does it bring about the righteousness of God? These things we need to ask. That's what God, Jesus was telling the cities in which the Bible says he upbraided the cities where he had done his miraculous works. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. He said if these things were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it would be till here today. He says, you think Sodom and Gomorrah has been judged? He said, it's not yet judged. Judgment is set on another day. He says, on that day of judgment, it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Ask yourself this question. For those who have sat in this church for years and years and years. Your response to the word of God. Your walk with God of God. Your prayer life. Your worship life. Is it just? Does it bring about the righteousness of God? Ask this question first. Is it just? Does it bring about the righteousness of God? Is it just? Because that's a simple question everybody asks. Is it fair? Is it fair? Is it fair? You ask yourself, the things that I do, my zeal, my effort, my work, my money I put into it, the energy I give it, is it just? Is it just? Above all what I put into God, considering the fact that He saved me with the life of His own Son, is it just? In your home, is it just? And then when you deal with others, mercy, 
Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Why? We are not consumed because of his mercy. Mercy. Walk humbly. Because God is humble. So what is the solution? Solution lies with God. The same portion in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What does it mean? There will be a time in your life when you seek him, you don't find him. When you look for him, he's too far away. So seek him when he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. It's a warning. There will come a time when he may not be found. If you have doubts, look at this portion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator, leave that aside, profane person, like Esau. Like Esau. We'll only look from, let there be any person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. What's your birthright? To reign in righteousness is my birthright. I have been born by the Spirit of God, declared righteous by God. Now God says, through grace, reign in righteousness. That's my birthright. You're throwing it away for a morsel of food. You are an Esau. You are an Esau. What happened? For you know afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He cried, he howled, he wept, but the Lord was not near. So Isaiah says, call upon him when he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Yesterday we looked at another question, right? From Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. It's also a rhetorical question. If we can have it on the screen, because most of you didn't listen. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. It's, in, it's interesting. God asks questions and the answer is in the question. What is the question? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Answer, you will not. You shall not escape. This is such a great salvation. One, because of the price paid. Second, because of the person who paid the price. Third, because of the scope of the salvation. You and I can be saved to the uttermost, is what the writer of Hebrews says. So he says, if you neglect, you can reject. You can neglect, but you cannot escape. We said yesterday, relationship with God is neglected. Your prayer closet is empty. Your word is hardly read. Messages are ever listened to. Your relationship with your spouse is neglected. Marriages die because of neglect. Simple. All you have to do for your marriage to die is what? Do nothing. All you have to do to go to hell is what? Do nothing. You don't have to do one thing to go to hell. You're automatically going. Because you neglect. And the Bible says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
answer, you will not escape. His God is impartial. He is just. He's just. Seek him when he may be found. When he is near. Ecclesiastic chapter 12 for all the young ones sitting over here. Remember now your creator in the days of youth. Before the difficult days come. Right now difficult days hasn't come. None of you, all the young unmarried ones sitting over, no difficult days hasn't come. That will come later. Before that comes, seek the Lord. Then you will be able to stand. Then the day of testing will come where there is nobody beside you, no pastor beside you, no prayer team beside you. You are alone like Joseph in Potiphar's palace and the test comes. But because you sought the creator, O Joseph, in the days of your youth, you stood while others fell. There's a time to seek the Lord when you are young. When you are young, seek the Lord. Seek your creator before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. But your mind is set. You know when people have old age amnesia, they start forgetting things. The saddest part is that they forget people. They don't forget habits. Why? Because they did not seek the Lord in the days of their youth and control themselves. They will have just finished breakfast. Five minutes, they will start shouting. You did not feed me breakfast. What are you trying to do? Starve me to death? But your stomach is full. Your mind doesn't register. I've seen people come out of the ICU lying in a coma and going like this. Why? Because you did not serve your creator in the days of your youth and you were an addict. Now you are lying in a coma involuntarily. Your hand is moving. Sad state of man. I heard about a child telling her father was released from the ICU at the age of 85, came home and is sitting before the TV and watching porn because he cannot help it because he did not seek the Lord in the days of the old. When the ages came, he finds no pleasure in anything. He just is a slave of his habit. God says, seek me. Seek me. That's not what is told about Moses. Moses was 120 years old. His strength was the same. His eyes was the same. And his last walk to his death was with God and not with man. Not with man. With God. How do you want to end your life? Check your life. No. Now you will know how you will end. All you have to look at a road, road is... You know where the end of the road is. Check your life now. You will know where you will end. If you are not walking with God, you will know where you will end. If you are complacent about God, you will know how your end will be. If you are complacent about your family, you will know where you will end. The road reveals the destination. Be serious. Because we are seeing before our eyes the greatest nation Ever on earth, United States of America, called a city on the hill, whose forefathers made a living covenant with God, falling apart, every principle of God being legalized out. We are seeing a nation fall. You know why? Because the people in that nation took their walk with God lightly. They neglected. Can they escape? Answer, no nation has escaped. No nation has escaped. Not even Israel has escaped.
No individual will escape. So be very serious. Seek him when he may be found. So what do we do? Go back to Isaiah. He has the answer. Because he is the one who prophesied about Jesus coming 6,600 years. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What do you need to do? Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him. And to our God. For he will abundantly pardon him. See, come back to the same thing. Thoughts and ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher. You please forsake your thoughts. Even the most righteous man who ever walked on earth, we're leaving Jesus aside. Even the most righteous man, you think about it, his thoughts are unrighteous before God's thoughts. His ways are unright, wicked before God's eyes. Forsake. Forsake. It's a decision you make. It's a decision. It's all our first in the heart. Like Daniel purposed in his heart. These are decisions you have to make. Once you have made the decision, God will help you to put it away. First is a decision. That's what Jesus said. If you will to know my doctrine, you will know my doctrine. Everybody has a will. That's why you are here. You used your will to move your legs. Forsake. Forsake our own ways. Forsake our own thoughts. What will God be? Still the same. Mercy and abundant pardon. You know what this word is called in the Bible? It's called repentance. Forsaking your own thoughts. Forsaking your own words. Ways is called repentance. I still love the Hindi translation of the word repentance. Man firav. Change your mind. Change your mind. Don't think those thoughts. Don't go that way. Change your mind. John the Baptist's entire ministry was built on one word. Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Message hasn't changed. Luke chapter 1 verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What was his job? To prepare a people for Jesus to come in. What is the job of the pastors? To prepare a church for Jesus to take. And that's only way through repentance. If you don't repent, he will leave you behind. He will take those who are ready. Whether you are ready or not, here I come. That's what repentance means. What is John's ministry? To prepare a people for God. Look at the next words. Zacharias prophesied after he started speaking. Verse 76 to 7. And you child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Repentance prepares the way for God to come into your life. No repentance, no God. You cannot walk with God. Repentance prepares the way for God to come into our lives. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. But there is no repentance, there is no remission of sins. Are you getting the picture? 
Malachi 4, 5, 6. The same thing is mentioned in Malachi before Jesus comes a second time. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day of the day. We know that is the day of judgment. Dreadful day of the day. He will send the same spirit that was on Elijah. Meaning what? If I am a true servant of God, I have to start preaching repentance again. Otherwise, I am a false prophet because the day of the Lord is near. I cannot mollycoddle you. I have to get you ready. What are they saying? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Did you see? It goes back to the home. The problem is in the home. It goes back to the home. When John preached and when the end times preached, God says, you know what I will do? I will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the hearts of the children back to the fathers because the problem is in the home. And what is the mothers doing? They have understood their position in the home. They understood the position of the home. What is that? To bring reconciliation in the home. Their entire life is spent in prayer to bring reconciliation in the home and not to cause discord in the home. They understand their position. What does the Holy Spirit do? He brings reconciliation That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the mother. What is the curse of these last days? Absentee fathers and missing fathers. You have no more single parent homes today with mothers running their homes. Fathers went, walked away. Or absentee fathers, present but absent. That's a curse. And what did it lead to? It lead to feminism. The reigning spirit of this world. You know what happens when the woman takes over the house? Quietly, subtly comes a spirit which is called the Jezebel spirit. Women learn to submit. If you do not submit to the spirit of Christ, you will submit to another spirit which is called the Jezebel spirit. Do you know what you will do? You will marry a weak man whom you can manipulate. A man called Ahab. And control. Because you cannot handle tough men. This is how it works. Be careful. Understand God's order. Because we see this playing out. Everything that was prophesied is falling into place. Men be the rightful head. Protect. Provide. Preserve, lead, women, follow, bring reconciliation. Don't cause discord, bring reconciliation. That's why the women are missing. In both the statements, in the beginning and in the end, same spirit. The more you get educated, become more submissive. Because knowledge puffs off. Wisdom makes you humble. Be wise. Don't be knowledgeable. To be knowledgeable, you don't need anything. Like I said, all you need is Google. It's so easy. You don't need to search. My wife asked me, what does this word mean? I just searched and this is what it means. Google is there. We don't even have to send children to college now. Just teach them how to read and write and give them an app. They will find any answer. 
waste money on education google is there no even i if i have a symptom in my body before i call dr richard before i pray before i talk, before i pray let me honestly confess i check in google all the symptoms and diagnose my own disease dr google is there no the problem is knowledge makes you proud you don't submit be careful men and women especially women why because efficiency 522 comes before 23 it is the the instructions are given first to those who follow and not to those who lead because if you don't follow you don't have a leader you should have a leader understand how you need to walk with god because the day of the lord because as long as we are not willing to repent willing to forsake our ways and our thoughts then you know what happens we are usurping the authority of christ in our homes as men men are usurping the authority of christ as women and we are not david we are absaloms why did absalom defy his father because of something that was outward he was good looking today it could be something else you are smarter you have a better pay package anything you got more skills the same absalom spirit you know how absalom died you know what a theologian said of absalom heaven refused to receive him earth refused to accept him therefore he died hanging between the two do you understand to walk with god can man walk with god yes he can what should you do be willing to forsake his evil thoughts and forsake his evil ways and act justly love mercy and walk humbly before god both man and women and do you know what you do you bring the kingdom of god wherever you go you bring the kingdom of god wherever you go if you don't you bring the kingdom of the devil wherever you go only two kingdoms not the nations of the earth only two kingdoms the kingdom of the devil or the kingdom of god and that's why pastor vijay is an old saying said some people bring joy when they come some people bring joy when they leave and all of you who been living with us for many many years when you leave don't let me and mahas say good they are gone hear from us never lose in touch with you because we know you are on the right road same thing in a home same thing in a church when you go there should be regret in the church not relief when you leave your home there should be sorrow in the home and not relief change your ways change your thoughts walk humbly with god right yesterday we looked at one verse right i think it was hebrews 11:16 right and we will close stand up to read that verse i think it is 16 okay dr richard i am not yes i got it right now they desire a better that is a heavenly country therefore god is not ashamed to be called there 
Read this part alone from here to here. Therefore, it is not ashamed to be called their God. Is God ashamed to call himself your God? No, Indian parents say, Mera bachcha hai, mat bolna. Bahar jaakar, naam ko barbaad kiya. Will God be ashamed to call us his people? Today. Now, if Jesus were to come, would you identify you, 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 you? I'm proud of you. Would you be able to say? Get these things. That's what walks. That's what the Bible says. You know, walked with God and he was no more. Because God took him. God was not ashamed. He was proud of this boy. Like the Sunday school child said, you know, can God walked so long that finally God said, you are nearer to my home than yours. Come with me. That's rapture. It's not ashamed to be called for he has prepared a city for them. For those he is not ashamed, he has prepared city for them. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just want to come and surrender once again, Lord. None of us will ever come to that point. But we are constantly getting rid of our evil thoughts and our evil ways. For one reason, we want to walk with you. The entire purpose of salvation is to walk with you. That man may walk with God again. And have that sweet fellowship with him. And would be able to say like your servant said, the Lord is at hand. Though everybody abandoned me at my first hearing, they forsook me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Oh Lord, let that be our testimony. Wherever we are, Wherever we go, we should be able to say like Paul. We should be able to say like Joseph, a slave in Egypt. The Lord was with him. Thrown into prison, he was able to say, the Lord was with me. That's what salvation is about. That's what it's all about. We can walk with you again. Help us to love what is just. Help us to love mercy. Help us to walk humbly with you and with one another. And our dealings with one another, be just, be merciful, and be humble. We can walk with you. We can walk with one another. Then we can say, God is in our midst. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these ten months. Tomorrow as another month begins. If you tarry to come tonight, you give us another day in the land of the living. And I pray we will take heed to your words and order our footsteps so that we can please you as Enoch pleased you by faith. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.